At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. We interview senior level baby boomers who share their stories, insights, and how-tos for the emerging leadership of millennials. Our mission is to celebrate their accomplishments in aid of preserving their business knowledge. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of my interview, part two, with Mark Fingerlin, who is the Vistage International Chair. This gentleman is fascinating. If you have not had a chance to hear the first part of our interview, please go back and listen to episode 12. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play or just go simply to the website, highlevelwisdom.com forward slash episodes. Now, in this part two, you're going to hear some very interesting thoughts that he has around how baby boomers might actually be getting it wrong. And more importantly, where the opportunities that millennials can have to continue to truly add value. Thank you so much for listening. Here is part two. Take a listen. I think it's important for for anyone in our audience, whether it's a CEO who may be listening, an HR exec or uh, uh, a, a millennial how how is it that you were able to share that concept of experience and what what type of things would you you know most most companies are when they write out their job list right they tell you they want you to have this am- amount of experience which is in some cases that's true right i don't want anybody working on my heart who <laughs> you know is just walking in the first time and doesn't know what a scalpel is okay there, we might have an issue there but you know when you start talking about technology roles and, you know, management roles and consulting roles, how, how would you tell someone to reposition their, their job role as they're seeking talent so that they're actually attracting the right type of person as opposed to saying you need 30 years experience of this? Because to your point, it's actually kind of what 30 years? Are we talking about 30 years back, you know, 20 years ago or today? Well, uh, Good answer to your question, just but to put a point on it, when John Glenn orbited the Earth, he was the first person to do it. So if John, if, if the person to do it needed to have five years of experience of orbiting the Earth, you could have never launched John Glenn. No one else had done it before. Wow. So, I mean, Alan Shepard had taken a short flight, but other, but, you know, to orbit the Earth, you know, what, how many years of experience do you have to have? Well, it's, you know, I'm the first person ever did this, you know, and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon. You were the first people to do it. So if we're, if, if we're truly going to be innovators, then we have to be prepared to, to be the first one. I mean, Christopher Columbus sailed across the ocean, actually arrived at a place he hadn't planned on uh, by virtue of trying to do what, what he told the queen he was going to do was total failure. All right. He never did find a road to India, the, the new route to India for trading purposes, but he did discover the new world. <laughs> and no one ever talks about that. <laughs> yeah, well different perspective so to your point uh, you know, let's put this down to, to some 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 concrete things for people who say well how do i take this and how do i leverage it my encouragement for people uh, whether they're crafting job descriptions whether they're doing recruiting you're doing performance measurement 
Uh, you know, I used to have, I used to be at war with my HR departments because I was saying, I don't, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna fill out all your forms. We don't have time to do all of this stuff. Let's make this easy. Let's make it three to five things that you'll be successful when. Gee, Chris, you want to take this position? You can be successful in this position when you can do this, 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 and this. What are the performance metrics we want to see here? You know, I'm looking to, I'm going to recruit someone that's going to fill this job. That position is going to make my job easier. That's why I'm hiring them. I wouldn't hire you to make my job harder. So my job gets easier when I have someone in a position who can do the following three things. So now as I look at people's resumes, I need to look at their what they have accomplished and how do those things line up against the performance of what I want accomplished. Well, if you've accomplished some great things in 18 months that are would tell me that that's applicable to what I'm trying to do here or looks parallel to it or whatever, the fact that someone else took 10 years and accomplished almost the same thing, but they did it at two or three different other places, and it's not quite clear who in, whose input it was, who should I hire? Well, and I may not have detailed that well enough, but the reality is I need to hire the person with the shorter time of experience in chronology, but the greater sense of performance as far as what they do. Wow. So the way for the person to say, how do I leverage this? Well, it's a two-boy street. The senior senior leaders the and the recruiters need to understand they're hiring for performance, not history. I don't care what you have done other than how that informs my decision on whether you can do what I need done. So first, I have to identify what are the success metrics that I need done to be successful here. Why am I hiring this person? Why am I promoting this person? What's the difference it's going to make in our organization to achieve our goals? Secondly, if I'm the person trying to have that position, I need to be able to look at my experience, my talent, my training, and say, here's how this informs my ability to achieve the goals that you want so that we are both successful. Because again, you're hiring me, you're promoting me, whatever the decision is we're trying to make here, to be successful. You're not hiring me to fail, and you're not hiring me for you to fail. I think we can dispel the concept that just hiring somebody who has 20 years of experience reduces my failure level. Hmm, I'm not sure that any resume shows that, especially if you've been two or three different places. You know, why did you leave there? If you're the ultimate winner, wouldn't you still be in the same place doing more and more work? Or why, why am I not reporting to you? I, mean, we're, I don't want to torture the metaphor here, but we would look at it. And so we need to be performance-oriented. And now we have to talk about what are the criteria, the qualifications, the relevant experience that informs our ability to see you to meet that performance, to achieve that, and allows you to articulate why you can meet that. But so often, we don't talk about the performance. We talk about the criteria. Well, I want to have five years of relevant experience. Really? Well, what's that, what would that experience produce? Well, you'd be able to do this and this and this. All right, so why don't we just hire people who can do this and this and this and show me how you can do that? So that would be my long answer to your short question. How do you make this? No, work? no, that is, I, I think that is so valuable, uh, to be honest, because I, I do believe that we are still hiring on criteria as opposed to really, I mean, you know, Anybody can go do it right now. Anybody listening, go Google and look up a job, you know, search. They're all, you know, and, and, and to also be honest, I mean, most people know that even when you get on the job, there's still something new to learn. 
So I think you're, yeah, I think you're spot on. I was going to say, how often have you seen individuals take a job just to have their hiring managers say, well, you're not the person I hired. Oh, really? Right. And the person say, well, wait a minute, this isn't the job I applied for. And we have this disconnect because we didn't talk about the results-oriented part of what we're trying to accomplish, the performance and how we're going to measure that and let the applicant start to give us a freelance answer and expand their thinking about how they're going to, how we're going to perform in this environment. What are the things you need to know? Why is this an exciting job for you? Why, you know, how will this compel you along your path to what ultimate success looks like in your life? You're going to invest five to seven years of your life here. That's somewhere around, you know, 8% of your, of your working life. Why will this help you do that? Why do you want to do that here? And if you have people who haven't thought about it that way, I don't think I want them working for me. I don't want them on my team. If, you know, if, if, if I'm looking for a bunch of people who are going to help me take that hill over here, I want people who want to know they're coming to take that hill because they want us to have the hill. That's the most important thing. We're going to get that hill. That's right. And we might be interested in what's on the other side, but we're not even sure about what's on the other side. We just want to make sure we have that hill. And that's what our goal is. If you're not interested in that goal, please don't ask to be on my team. Right. Wow. But if I can't articulate it, I can't tell you that, then anybody could be on my team because I haven't articulated what we're going to do. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's that's very, very true. So earlier you mentioned that part of your work as a chair, as somebody who sits with CEOs and is a part of developing that that space, training, influence, what do you notice that millennial CEOs are struggling with? that you try to help them identify early and try to help them find ways to to truly become that influencer that's that's going to be needed no matter what the the company is that they have in a nutshell chris i try to have them become better leaders uh, i'm thinking a couple of minutes as, as i'm reflecting on your words and faces come in front of me of members that are my groups i'm certainly not going to go into names places here but I think of one individual, uh, there's no doubt about his his courage, if you will, uh, his knowledge, his ability to articulate. What he's looking for is, yes, but how do I lead? Well, he has it in my, somehow in his mind, he has some vision of what a quote-unquote leader is, and he's trying to measure up against that. And, and, and you know, it's like almost as if he's trying to, you know, hold himself against the wall, against a silhouette and say, how do I match up? Instead of understanding that leadership is measured best by results, what is your team accomplishing? So get people to understand how they're going to achieve their goals. First, you have to identify them. You have to articulate them. I think of another one who suffers with a similar thing, but he doesn't he doesn't believe, I think it's, it's called it a courage or self-esteem issue, that he has the ability to influence his seniors, people who are, in this case, this happens to be a family-owned business, and he's a actually a third generation uh, with a very senior second generation, and but he is now leading this. But there are people who are working ostensibly for him who are effectively his father's peers and they've been here 15 20 years and as he seeks to influence them you know some of them have known him as a little boy growing up and he's you know he is trying to assert himself to be 
worthy of the respect he believes he has to have and doesn't quite see that they're willing to give it to him, but they're looking for the direction that they need from him. And it's one of these, you know, I, I don't do psychology very well. That's not my background. I don't have those initials after my name. But some of these things come to that direction. What are your self-limiting beliefs and how do you get past them? How, you know, how, what are you identifying you need to do? I said before, you know, a leader is someone who influences others. I like to say inspires others to action. Well, if you don't view yourself as being inspirational, then you're going to have a challenge doing that. What's it take for you to learn to be inspirational? And it's not how do I give flowing speeches? How do I become a keynote speaker? But rather, how do I, how do I encourage people to join me in a clear and vital vision of what success looks like? Well, if I don't have a compelling vision myself, it's hard for me to share it. So how do I develop that compelling vision? And that's where I come along. Some of these things, for those who came through different life journeys, we were exposed to people who did this. It seems like to me that they did it effortlessly, but they weren't born doing it either. But they had role models to do it, or they saw how to do it, or people taught them how to do it. If you couldn't teach people how to do these things, I wouldn't be able to do the work I do. So some of these things are taught, they are encouraged, their behaviors and their, and, and their mindsets that we can adopt and move on. But often the millennial generation hasn't had those experiences or hasn't paid attention to them. If you ask them their role model, they may not be able to think of whether it's a college professor, a school teacher, the university president, their football coach, who, who you know, it might be a character out of a movie. Well, is that character real? Are you going to model yourself after a fictional entity? Who are the human beings that you respect who are influencing your life? Some people don't have those. So first we have to come back and say, let's find out what they look like. Who are those people? And let's talk about that. Where do we find them? We often do that work with who are the world-class experts. We come in to give keynote speaks periodically. Not that people want to adopt them as a cult issue, but to realize that they're around us all the time. We just haven't recognized them as being the influencers of our lives, of our styles. And people then come along and say, yes, I'm influenced by that person. Yes, I can learn how to influence others because I need to influence them to do what I need them to do because without my influence, they'll do what they want to do, which are the only two things human beings do, things they want to do and things that they're inspired to do by other people. Wow. Up to their own devices, they do what they want to do. That's right. You know, so you talked about that one particular example with a guy who's in a third generation of a company and now he's he's in a place of uh, of influence. Can you speak to the person who may be career driven inside of a company? Maybe they're sitting in a large organization and, you know, they're maybe they're getting towards, you know, middle management, but they do see themselves. They see themselves as leading they want to be in the room of, 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 of influence. They want to work as a senior leader in a large organization. What type of advice would you give that person looking to, to become that type of influence in a large company? Well, there's a phrase that comes out of the military, which is certainly meets your definition of a large company that says bloom where you're planted. People you know, complain, oh, I didn't get the orders I wanted, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, and that, in, and, and that adversely impacted my career. Yeah, that could be the case, but how well did you do in the job that you were given? I used to tell folks who worked with me, for me, uh, who would often talk about, you know, what's my next step on my career path? I said, well, tell me how you're doing with the position you have now. If you leave that position, 
How have you left it better than you found it? What's the value that you're creating there for us and for other people? So are you blooming where you're planted? Also, for those who want to be leaders, it doesn't mean you have to be at the pinnacle of the obelisk to be the leader. You can lead organizations from lots of levels, but you need to lead from the front. Leading from the back has never been, you know, it's never been a very successful strategy that I'm aware of. I hear a lot of people talk about, well, I don't have to lead from the front. Really? How many people follow you from the back? They're looking over the shoulder. How do they follow you if you're not in front? So my encouragement for folks to say, I'd like to be able to move up that, you know, that inverted funnel is all right. What are your behaviors? If I were, you know, in a leadership position in that company, looking around for the people who I want to have on my team, how do I recognize you for your leadership ability and what you're doing? How are you inspiring other people? And that's not brown nosing me because that's going to be pretty obvious. What are you doing? Are you inspirational to other people? Are you encouraging? Are you asking the key questions? Maybe you're working for a totally uninspirational boss. Are you asking the questions that might help him? Gee, boss, you know, what is our strategic plan to achieve that goal? How do we fit with the rest of this organization? Well, I don't know. Well, let's go find out. How important are we to this? Or are we merely sitting here? We, you know, our job is to turn the lights on if they ever go off. Well, we can replace that with a machine. You know, Actually, uh, somebody will vet a chip to do that for us. So maybe we better find ourselves a better place to be planted. If seeking out a relocation to another spot usually is not the best possible career path. Unless there's something unique about that position, unique about us to say, yeah, wow, I can really blossom there. But first, they're going to look and say, yeah, but how well are you blossoming where you are? Or are you the guy who's always complaining about how bad your current position is? I used to laugh at or with a lot of the enlisted sailors that reported to me when I was a division officer in the Navy. And they would always be complaining about where we are. Boy, this ship is the worst ship. This that this this billet is the worst billet. And they'd always tell me how great it was I came from. You know, boy, we're here out here in San Diego. But when I was in Norfolk, let me tell you what they had in Norfolk. Wherever they were was great, and wherever they came from, wherever they were was not good. And then their orders would come in, and then they were going, we're going to oh, we're going to Great Lakes, and they'd start talking about why Great Lakes was the greatest place in the world. Well, I knew exactly what was going to happen as soon as they went from San Diego to Great Lakes which quite candidly is not the greatest place in the world, they would now all of a sudden be telling the, the older people about how bad Great Lakes is and how great San Diego was. But all the time they were in San Diego, it was terrible because it wasn't as good as Norfolk had been. <laughs> and you just kind of look at this and you say, you know, how is this working in your life? I mean, I understand how it's working in your job and it's not good, but you can be promoted in, especially up through the enlisted ranks of the Navy, without necessarily having to solve that problem. But you're not going to have a fulfilling life without solving that problem. And so often people say, well, I'm stuck in middle management. I can't get to where I want to be. Really? How well are we doing in that quote unquote stuck? Well, I am so stuck. I can't wait to leave at five o'clock because this job is just so bad. Oh, I bet it's so bad. They put money in your account every two weeks, don't they? Hmm. And I bet they pay your health care. And I bet you get to take a couple of weeks off every summer to do whatever you want to do. And I bet they probably have a 401k that helps you plan for retirement when you don't no longer need this position. So tell me again how bad this job is. Now, what are we going to do to be able to make us more valuable here? Because after all, that's why we're here. They're not paying us for all of these things. That's what they provide us for the work we do. So how do we find the true value that we can add 
to what we do here to make this a better place and for us and for our shareholders, et cetera. And I'll bet as we start finding ways to do that, A, we feel better about the job, but other people notice that too. And maybe, just maybe, they think, hmm, you did a good job over in that position. I could use that guy in my division. I could use that gal over here in this new project I'm starting. In fact, they offered to come and work on this project and because they had a little downtime. and They suggested to their boss they'd be happy to take on that new project that's going on over there. And they did a heck of a job in that project. I think there's some other projects they could work on. Wow. They're adding some real value here. Absolutely. And one of the things that you're, you're speaking to that I find is so important uh, for anybody who's listening is if you want to be attractive, be really good at being present now. Mm-hmm. It's so, so important. Um, it, it's, you know, looking at the future and wishing away your present doesn't help. Looking at the past and saying how great it was <laughs> doesn't help. If you can really be great at right now, no matter what that is. And now and here's the thing. We know that there's outliers and there's fringes out there of, of really terrible situations. Those are, are the exceptions. But the majority of us have not a challenge on the management that we're facing right now or the high demands. The biggest challenge we really have is the mindset that we come to the workplace with. Um, and that's not a, a job role thing. That's really kind of an us thing. And I, I really appreciate you speaking to that. Uh, not only as somebody who's been in, in a, a great official in the, in the Navy, but also just somebody who, who, who wants to see people do better. <laughs> and sometimes I think doing better is not the next formula, not the next new app, not the next new strategy. It's about being the next new app being the next new strategy, <laughs> you know, that becomes attractive. And anytime we can do that, I think we're, we're setting other people up for success, but then we're also setting ourselves up for success as well. Um, so, so I, I really, really like your insight on that. It, so there's two other questions prior to us wrapping up that I, I really would like to get your perspective on. So, you know, I, I think about, you know, misconceptions. There, there's always these misconceptions. There's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's stereotypes that are sitting out there right now. What type of misconceptions do you, do you hear or do you notice <laughs> that people think about baby boomers that you say, you know, that's actually not true. It just is easy to talk about. What, what are some of those misconceptions that you notice today? Oh, it's, it's, it's kind of reiterate your point, you know, generalizations are bred with misconceptions. Problem we have with generalization, always a baby boomer. Well, that's a generalization and the stereotype, the misconception that goes with that. The, it's a concept that most well, people say, well, you know, it's a bunch of angry old men. Well, I don't think so. Most of the people that I know are pretty jovial, pretty happy, and pretty happy where they are in life. Uh, there's a concept of, you know, work 40 hours a week, come home and, 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 you know, work-life balance are barriers, not, not, not integration. Kind of, you know, lamenting the past. I wish, you know, I wish we could go back to the days before computers. Really? Most everybody I know has a computer. So that the fact is that the baby boom generation has not matured to a level of ludites, uh, but rather that they are, you know, as articulate as they have been able to teach themselves to be, uh, my kids took classes in school. In fact, I remember my son doing this between first kindergarten and first grade to learn how to keyboard. Okay, I'm probably still the slowest typer in my family. 
nobody taught me how to keyboard. I had to figure out how to do that. I do know how to program a computer because I had an engineering class where we use wireboards. So then it's not, which is a lost skill, but it's all binary. So we would look at kind of some of this stuff and we would say the fact that we know how to live in a world that's no longer relevant as baby boomers doesn't mean we, we that we're pining away for it to return. You know, I'm delighted to use an electric nail gun instead of carrying my claw hammer when I need to do <laughs> drive more than one. I think it's wonderful. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think embracing the change that comes with the technologies is something that people do. They might appear reluctant at it, but I think most people appreciate that. Uh, and also, I think those there's a the, the baby boom generation, as I look at us uh, for, you know, I don't think I ever thought much about it uh, until more recently. And, and uh, you know, we've also understood it's, it's not just a U.S. thing. It's a global thing. This is the largest global generation. So it's always struck me as bizarre or why people start worrying about how we're going to pay for retirement now. Well, gee whiz, as a society, we thought about how we should have paid it for about 20 years ago. And we recognize how large this group of people is. Right. And it's, and it's global. So maybe that tells us a little bit about, you know, failures of relying on, quote unquote, leadership of national leaders who aren't in a position to affect the policies to make things happen or sometimes. Look, you know, every screwed up parking lot has an expert that somewhere told the planning board this would work. So we kind of look at it and say, let's, where's the critical thinking that goes into this stuff? I think yeah, as you look at baby boomers, though, you might look at them and say, yeah, they probably do have a level of critical thinking that needs to be honored because sometimes that's missing in some younger generations. Why they didn't learn it, pass it on, or wherever, I don't know, but that's a failure. So I think there is a, a lack of value of that. There's a misconception though among baby boomers that they're the, they're the only ones doing critical thinking. Uh, they just happen to be able to point out where it's been missing and some other things have been done. Beyond that, you know, besides typically being referred to as the largest generation, which is no longer true, been one that's been one of sort of eternal youth because it's been large and young for a long time. Uh, and I see some, some of my peers who are continuing to do things to try to look like they're younger. I wish they'd stop doing that because it's not a good look. <laughs> you know they i don't care you, you know those those uh, yoga pants just are not helping you or jesus guy over here who is uh, uh you know dying his hair blonde to try to make that crew cut look better this isn't you know why don't let's just let's just use our natural beauty in our maturity and make that work um so uh, so there's some pieces there go around it caused some great smiles he's looking so you really thought that looked good huh yeah. Who told you as a 70-year-old that you're going to look good in those skinny jeans? Yeah. You know, I'm so glad, Mark, you touched on that. Cause That's just not working for us here. You know, go you know, those khakis and polo shirt. Just, we're comfortable <laughs> seeing you there. You know, you're, you're so right because um, uh, one misconception people might have is that all millennials love skinny jeans. I will be the first to tell you that I have not subscribed to that newsletter yet. Um, it is. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, uh, m- m- most 70 year olds don't look good in them either. So we'll live it. <laughs> yeah. It's not something that um, I can subscribe to. It's just, it, it's not, it, it, it just does not work for me. I, you know, what's funny is um, a little bit about my background. I actually see, I, I'm the youngest of seven. So I grew up with a very older household. So that means that my influences were things that are just of an older generation. And 
to this day, I still like those things. You know, um, you know, I remember the days, uh, when my mother came home with this really cool, uh, innovative technology that I could not believe even existed was when she had gone to the department store in our town and had come back to the house with this 60 foot cord. And I was like, what is that? And she was like, well, now I can take my phone from the bedroom to the kitchen. And I was like, that's so cool. So, you know, before we went wireless, we had 60 foot cords and telephone lines in our house because people could walk all around the house and be on the phone. So that, <laughs> so I remember, you know, the things that just, you know, I'm always like, wow, how far we've come because that wasn't too far along ago. But, but you're right. And I, I do agree that, uh, you know, those types of things and misconceptions are, are kind of out there that, you know, um, they don't always do us well. And I, I appreciate your, your, your inner, inner, interpersonal kind of thought there around, you know, how these things kind of, uh, have played out. And, and even from, you know, everybody's always going to talk about technology because technology was kind of the, uh, the big bang, if you will, between the generations, right? Not that there wasn't technology. It just, you know, 10 X in 99, right? So, the last thing I'm very interested in is that we always talk about benefits um, and what people bring to the table, no matter whether it's to a project, uh, it's to a relationship within a company, whether it's to the stakeholders. What do you see are some of the benefits that millennials actually bring to the workplace that baby boomers either A, need to recognize or B, learn to value and actually leverage for them for themselves as leaders? Well, clearly the applied technology. I know as I hold this phone and I'm talking with you that I've only scratched the surface of things I can do on this phone. And I scratched the surface of it by virtue of necessity. I needed to learn how to do something with it and therefore, I have done it. Whereas people who grew up with the phone can't wait to get the next iPhone to do this, do that, or something else. Bring something that can come along and say, and it doesn't have to be remedial training by any means, but come along and say, well, this is it. You know, let me let me do this and show you how we can make this happen. Whether it's a, via a phone app, or whether it's a, a, a an applied technology on your laptop or PC, whatever. The fact is that there is a way of thinking about things like, why are we doing it this way? Why is this still a piece of paper? And it's because we haven't found a better process. Uh, you know, the concept of saying, well, let's just take a picture and forward it along. Great. So why, you know, why do we even have to scan this? Let's just take a picture on the phone and you put on a text and send it to me. I can open up. I don't even need all these other things to happen. And the fact is that a millennial often will come along and say, well, of course, I always did it that way. I've been taking pictures and sending to my friends for years. Uh, and the fact that we can apply that in business with a document is the same thing, just using scratching a surface there. But the reality is if, if we ask a millennial how you will go do something, we don't want to start out with it's wrong, but say, yeah, what can I learn from that? Because they will bring generally and a generalization, they will generally bring a different way of doing it, which actually, when applied, could be extremely more efficient. We just aren't thinking about how we use some of these little things. That, that you know, this phone that I'm talking on, also by the way, has access to every book ever written in the world. Why do I need a library? Why do I need a bookstore? Well, if I'm in the library business or the bookstore business, uh, I'm 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 really unhappy with that disruption. But if I'm interested in being able in the knowledge business, 
I'm great because I can get all the knowledge I want and I can do it when I want, where I want, how I want. So for people who are used to being in the knowledge business and having all that finger, well, how else can they apply that in other things they want to do? And often they may come sometimes with an application that we sometimes of us would say, well, it's coming from a background that was all silly. Well, I was doing that with music. I was doing that with doing, okay, what can you do it with data? So I think certainly to your point of what can we, can, can we harness from the millennial? First of all, clearly, it's a technology age, technology generation. Unfortunately, they'll be displaced by Gen Z, as we've talked about early on here in this conversation. And we'll say, what can we learn from them? Because technology continues to move along, not necessarily leapfrog, but it becomes evolutionary one group after another. And no one, you know, the, the millennial generation does not own technology. They just happen to come of age as technology did, as you point out, in the Y2K environment, in the dot-com environment, you know, and, and also the NASDAQ boom-bust environment. So they happen to be there. The rooster doesn't cause the sun to rise, but they happen to be there when the sun's rising and can crow about it. And the millennials were there and learned about it as the technology was coming. It was a natural thing for them. They can bring in, bring that talent with us. They also bring a richness of attitude of I'm as interested in why we do something as opposed to how we do something. It used to be the definitions were what do you do and how do you do it? Now, we're much more interested, why is this important? I want to do things that are important. I want to make a difference. How does my chipping this gravel make a difference in the world? Well, until I can explain to you that we're going to mix that in mortar, and if we chip that gravel, it's really a piece of marble, and it's going to be a mosaic. And it's going to be a mosaic that's going to be in the ceiling of a cathedral. Now, all of a sudden, as you understand as you're chipping that little piece of gravel, you're really making a tile that goes into a mosaic that is a beautiful thing. So if you need to make a difference in the world, understand that your piece of tile is going to be part of a beautiful thing. I think we have to understand that because the millennials are much more interested in making a difference. It can be a little frustrating because they want to make this huge difference in the world now. It's perceived as a level of impatience for other people have been saying, you know, dealing with 20 and 30 year projects. They want to make a pro. Why can't we do it now? See, we're in an instant world. I can send a picture around the world in a nanosecond. Why can't we? Get that dam built. Why can't we cure a disease? Why are people still hungry? Okay, we've been trying to solve that for eons. But in the meantime, there is a sense of urgency. Hey, embrace that sense of urgency. Harness it. Use it. Because we can we can learn from that. So those are the you know positives. I think I would encourage my my older brethren and sistering to pay attention to. Let's let's use that energy. Uh, you know, we're running out of it. So let's use theirs and let's get that sense of urgency going. So these changes take place in our lifetimes and use the technology to make the lift easier. So those would be my messages. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, Mark, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm appreciative of your, your story. I am sure that many people from this particular interview will We'll go back and want to listen to and, and see more about, um, you know, where you are. We'll provide all of the different links and, and things that, uh, people will be able to, to learn more about, uh, what you do. Number, the biggest thing I'll say there is, you know, number one, thank you for your, for your service to this country. That is, uh, something that whether by you were able to make a choice or not, uh, you did it. And you did it to the best of your ability. So you're, you're to be celebrated for that. But then also, you know, thank you for making a serious contribution to the workforce that, uh, myself, uh, other folks who may be listening to this interview today, we are standing on your shoulders. We're standing on your shoulders of your peers and for those who, who've come and, 
and, and provided their, uh, their energy and their experience for a portion of their life. And so, you know, I'm appreciative of it. I know our audience is, and I just think it's, um, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's about time we all are, uh, appreciative and also learning from one another. And so, you know, as you know, this show is really built to, to gain those stories, that insight and, and ultimately that wisdom, but it's also to celebrate you as well. And so, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm very excited and I'm, I really, really appreciate your time today because as somebody who's a leader of leaders, you don't have a whole lot of time. And so when you choose to invest it, it's, it's awesome. And I definitely appreciate you investing here on the podcast today. Well, Chris, you're more than welcome. I was flattered to be asked and I'm honored to participate. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you all so much for listening to episodes 12 and 13 of my interview with Mark Fingerlin, the Vistage International Chair. I appreciate him and his time. And I know that you got a lot of notes like I did out of this interview that I was able to conduct with him. Feel free to share this with your friends. Uh, share with us also your thoughts, your comments. Go to our website, highlevelwisdom.com and share a comment. Let us know how you are grasping the information and the content that we're providing you. Also, I am sure you're probably listening to this on your mobile device right now. So feel free. Find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at High Level Wisdom. Hashtag us High Level Wisdom and let us know what your thoughts are and share this, please, with your other coworkers or other people that you care about who want to be able to get the inside scoop from CEOs. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Hey, are you looking for a place where you can get your product or service in front of influencers and CEOs every single week? Well, you can do that with us and advertise in spots just like the one you're listening to now. Feel free to go to our website, highlevelwisdom.com forward slash advertise and learn more about how you can actually purchase ad space like the one you're listening to now. Or you can send us an email at info at highlevelwisdom.com for more information.